If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 13 will really be our main passage. We'll look at one other one as well, though, Exodus 20. What we've been looking at in this series, continuing our series on worship. Uh, you might remember, if you were here, uh, we went through the book of Ephesians together. And as we went through the book of Ephesians together, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 was a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology. And as you work your way through that, it allows you then to get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul starts to talk about, well, because of all these truths, this then is how you should live. This is how it's going to play out in your life. In the series that we're in currently, that's kind of where we're, we're reaching in the series. We've looked at all these different questions about uh, what is worship, first of all, who is it that we come here to worship? Who gathers us together? Why are we gathered together here? How do we approach worship is what we looked at the past couple weeks. These are some foundational questions uh, to understand why we do this each week, why we come here. But today we get to the question, well then what is public worship and what do we do here? Right? If all that stuff is true, if all that stuff that we've looked at before is right, then what is it exactly that we do when we, when we come here? What does it look like? And so uh, it's more practical, you might say, as we look at this uh, together, but we hope to ask this question and answer this question of what is public worship and what do we do? There's a word that comes up when looking at worshiping together, worshiping corporately. Uh, it's an old word, and it's a word that I'm guessing that when I say it, you won't like it. Are you ready? It's liturgy. Just let that sink in for a second. What do you think of when you hear the word liturgy? Because if you're similar to me, you think of boring. You think of Catholic, at least around here. You think of stiff. But in fact, liturgy actually is a word that comes from a Latin word meaning service. Just the service. Every single church, and I want you to hear this. Every single church out there, whether they say it or not, works under a liturgy. Every single one. We do, the Catholic Church does, the Lutheran Church does, even those non-denominational churches who don't know what they are, but there's something. They have a liturgy when they gather together. It's a way that they do service. Now, some have put a lot of thought into how they are going to have their service. Others haven't. It's just kind of what is done. I don't know how much thought you've put into that before. I do like asking this question at times uh, when I've taught classes in smaller groups. I love asking them the question, what is your perfect service? Write it out on a piece of paper. What does it look like? I've done that with teenagers. I've done that with adults. And most of the time, it's not really thought out. It's not really planned out. I remember having that exercise done to me a long time ago. I was young. My service was really easy. Sermon done. That was it. It was over. Now, part of that's just being lazy. I didn't want to write a lot of stuff out. I didn't come to church to do that, okay? I didn't want to pen all these things out. But part of it was I didn't want to sit through 45 minutes of music. It was just beautiful to me to think, let's come in, hear a sermon, I can handle that, and then we all leave and we get to lunch early that day. 
Again, I was younger. But you think about that with yourself. What would your perfect church service look like and why? See, there's many things that drive a church's liturgy or their order or why they do the service the way they do. But there is one thing that should stand above everything else when it comes to this service here when we gather together. And that is the word of God. Nothing should be above it. Nothing should rank higher. That needs to guide and direct everything we say and everything we do here. And so a good question to ask is what does our church's worship service say about God? Does how it's organized say anything about the God that we serve? What does our church's service say about us? Does it speak to the gospel clearly and does it do it consistently? See, these are things that we have to ask. We cannot fall into the trap of thinking that this stuff does not matter, which is where I would have been when I wrote down my answer, sermon over. I would have said none of that stuff really matters. Just come in spirit and truth. Just do it the right way and you're fine, whatever it is. But that was an ignorant thought of mine as a younger kid. If God is who he says he is in his word, if all these sermons that we've looked at previous are right and true according to scripture, then we must take, myself and you, we must take this time from a normal missionary Baptist church that starts at 10.30 every Sunday, we really need to take this time very seriously and ponder and think about the actions that we're doing here. And is it honorable and pleasing to the Lord? Is it right and is it true? It really is a serious matter. And so as we think about this this morning, I do wanna go to Exodus 20. You can see it on the screen because I don't think I told you to turn there. I told you to turn to Hebrews 13, which we'll get to. But in Exodus 20, verses three and four, we've read these already. This is the first two commandments. It's how serious God takes worship because he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. We see very clearly in the first two commandments, and this again is a reminder if you've been here through this series, that when we gather here for worship this morning, our focus is on God. And it's on the God who has made heavens and earth. That's what Pastor Scott read there in Isaiah. Uh, the reason I wanted him to read that in Isaiah is because as we gather together, the first thing that I want you to hear is how small you are compared to the great God that we come to get to serve and worship today. And we have the privilege to be able to do that. And he even mentioned it in his prayer, which might make you uncomfortable, but you're a little grasshopper, small and tiny. When's the last time you thought about the fact that you might have stepped on a grasshopper this week and didn't even know it? You don't think about that. It doesn't even come into your mind. But yet when comparing us to God there in Isaiah, that's what we're compared to. Not that we're not cared about or that we're not loved. It's just sometimes I think we can place too big of a significance on who we are. And we bring that into this room. And we gotta be careful of that because we gather here to worship God the one who alone deserves our praise, the one who alone deserves our adoration. And we cannot forget that. 
But we also need to remember, and this is what Pastor Spencer addressed in his reading there in Hebrews chapter two. And it's why we chose Hebrews chapter two. One of it is because that's one of the chapters you were supposed to read in your Bible this week if you're reading through the New Testament throughout the year like we're trying to do as a church. Hebrews two was one of those chapters. But also, there's a reason that we actually get to come here and worship God this morning. And that reason is in the person Jesus Christ. That's why we get together here this morning. That's why we have the right to be able to come and to worship God. If I were to ask you the question, why do we have the right and the privilege this morning to gather together to worship God? And you had to answer that question. I guarantee some of you would have said this, because we live in America. That's what you would have said. And we have the right and we have the freedom to do that. And you're right in a way, yes, our country allows us to do that without fear of our doors being knocked down and us being raided by the military or something like that. Yes, we have that privilege in this country. But regardless of if we had that privilege or not, the reason the people of God get together in their local body and worship is because they do it through the blood of Christ. And because of that, that leads to really the next thing that I want us to focus on, is as New Testament believers in our worship, we then are Christ-centered in all of our worship. Our worship must be focused on Jesus because we worship through his blood to God this morning through the power of the Spirit. That's the privilege that we have. And so because of that, our public worship must always be Christ-centered above everything else. There's nothing else that should get in the way. There's nothing else that should be more important for us when we gather here. We must be focused on Christ. And this is where I want us to look at Hebrews 13, focusing in on verse 7 through 16. Because here is like kind of the end of Hebrews. It's getting there. The writer of Hebrews is wrapping up his letter to this church, and he wants to point the church to the centrality of Christ. That's what he's doing in everything that Christ must be the center of everything. And so follow along with me, beginning in verse 7 through 16. It says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we see here in this passage that I read that first the writer is saying, remember those who taught you the word of God Consider their way life and think about that. I think all of us, hopefully, have some of those people in our life that we can think about, how they pointed us to God's word, how God used them in our life greatly. And he's saying, don't forget those people because they were being being faithful 
to what God had called them to. But then he warns this church, he warns this church family of being led astray. He says, be careful that you're not led astray by by strange teachings. And he's encouraging them to focus, focus on God's grace that you've received through Christ. I hope that you would agree with me that there are way too many diverse and strange teachings, especially when it comes to worship, to our worship. Too many, sadly, have been led astray by myths that seem, quote-unquote, logical to them. There's a, there's a podcast that I listen to, and each week they have a, a thing, and it's called, like, What's Happening in Pop Christianity? And they usually take a sermon of a, a real famous pastor or a pastor that has a, a pretty big-sized church family, and they'll, they'll take parts of the sermon and they, they break it down. And it's really sad how often Scripture's not even talked about. These are churches of thousands of people. Thousands of people. And they go the whole worship service where maybe just one verse is read. And then what the pastor does is after he reads that verse, or sometimes it's a she, will then go off and talk about stories that have happened in their life for that week. They'll make some people laugh. They'll share some antidote of whatever that will make you be able to get through the week, and then they end service. And what they said might have something to do with the verse that they read, but it's usually very much taken out of context. It's very wrong and twisted. And sadly, thousands of people will leave that church service saying, we had an encounter with God this morning. And they did it apart from his word completely completely apart from his word. And they have the audacity to think, today we were taught the word of God. I don't know a better definition of diverse and strange teachings. To not be led astray. To where we can for some reason start to think that we can divorce ourselves from the word of God and offer to God some sort of acceptable worship that is separated from his word and to think that God sits in heaven and applauses. It says, oh, what a great job you are doing down there. Thank you for how loud you are. Thank you for how warm your service feels. Thank you for how sincere you are in what you are doing. Yeah, it's not exactly what I would have planned and organized, but you're trying your best. Let me warn you of what we've already talked about before. I hope you remember the names Nadab and Abihu. These are the sons of Aaron. And you remember the sons of Aaron decided to worship God on their own, in their own way. And the Bible actually tells us that Nadab and Abihu, they offered a fire to God, they offered a sacrifice to God that they were not supposed to do. But the Bible also tells us this, they did it sincerely. They did do it sincerely. But the problem is it was contrary to what God had called to be done. And as a result, they died. As a a result, they were stricken and dead. And what was the problem? You offered strange fire to the Lord. This is not something I told you to do. You say, but yeah, but they had sincere hearts in what they were doing. 
but it's not what God told us to do. And so they suffered the consequences, so much so that Aaron was told, and when Aaron was told, it's kind of shocking, his response. We don't see him break down. We don't see him fall apart. It's almost as if he understands, and he's like, they disobeyed God. It's not what he told us to do in our worship, and they chose to do it anyways, and they paid the price. We have to be careful that when we worship God that we do it centered on Jesus, the one who allows us to approach God. You look in verses 13 through 15. It says, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Here, he's warning us. The writer is warning us, making sure that we continue to serve God, again, according to Christ. And what he's arguing here is not according to your old Jewish ways. He's saying we don't go back to that because that is a shadow of what Christ has fulfilled. And the way that he gives us this example, and it's really a great example, is he says, you remember... That when the Day of Atonement would come and we would sacrifice the lamb and we would sacrifice the bull that needed to be sacrificed, who is it that got to eat of the flesh of those animals? Was it you? No. It was the priests. According to the law, when the priests sacrificed these things, they then ate. The burnt parts, the carcasses, where did those go? They went outside the walls of the city and were burned out there to end. Outside the camp, the, de the defiled, out there in the, in the gross part. But in there, the priests got to dine and sump. But you didn't get to do that because you're not a priest. He said, but what we have in Jesus is this. When Jesus came, where did he die? He died outside the camp. Why did he die outside the camp? He died outside the camp because his death wasn't just for Jews, it was for all. It was for all people. He went to the place that was defiled. He went to the place that was dirty. He went and hung between criminals. And this Jesus, what he's went through all in Hebrews, is your great high priest. Oh, our high priests do, yes, according to the law, and they eat of that meal that you can't even taste. But our great high priest, Jesus, has come. Why? Not just that you get to be saved by him and justified by him, but you get to taste of him. Remember when Jesus would be talking in the Gospels? He'd say, unless you eat of my flesh, you have no part in me. And what did the people say? What are you talking about? That's disgusting. He's pointing to the fact that I'm going to die. And just like those priests would have to they would have to eat of the sacrificial lamb. They were told to do that. So likewise, us will have the privilege to eat of the sacrificial lamb. We see that visually in the Lord's Supper. As we get to, to taste the goodness of Christ because Jesus went outside the camp, which those other priests couldn't do. And so he's warning this church, don't go back to those old ways. I know that's how you've traditionally worshiped. I know that's how you've done it your whole life, but don't go back to those ways because they're, they were wrong. they're not good for us anymore. Christ has fulfilled them. It had its time, it's had its place. But now we're in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, 
we worship through the blood of the lamb. And that's what he points out there in verse 15. Since this is true, look what he says. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Through him. That is the fruit of a lips that acknowledge his name. How do we worship God according to this verse? Through Christ and on our lips is his name always. It's him and what he has done. So then our worship is a response to just this. It's a response to what Christ has done. Jesus is the center of our worship or else it's not true worship. We remember when we gather together that we've been made new in him. And so the only reason we have life as Christians is because we've been found in Christ. We've been brought together, this church family. How? In him. No other reason. We're brought together because we've been saved by Christ and he's brought us here together. And so not only has he given us life, he's given us family. He's given us family to walk this earth with. The struggles, the joys, all that that we have together, that we experience together. We're not in it alone. Why? Because he's brought us together in Christ. And we get to do this together. When we come and we worship God, we worship God in him. And so we're a family that has life together who celebrates together. And we only have one thing to celebrate. Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. That's why we come. And so then we have to make sure that our worship is done his way when we gather here. Everything we do in life has rules and we're governed by them. We see this in absolutely everything. In your home, whether you have rules written down or not, you guys live by rules. Kids, you probably know a general time your parents expect you to be in bed. Whether it's written down or not, you know when nine o'clock starts to roll around or eight or I don't know how crazy your parents are. Some of you put your kids to bed at seven. I can't even imagine that, it'd be awesome. <clears throat> you know the rules you have. Right? You, you guys have these, and your, your family functions the best it can within these rules. At work, when you go to work, there's rules. Punch in, punch out. You get a 30-minute lunch. Whatever your rules might be, and you need to follow those rules. Even the hobbies that you have have rules within them, and you know those rules, and you study those rules so that you can work within those rules to enjoy whatever hobby it is that you do. We can't go anywhere without there being rules. And we know that as we know the rules, as we understand the rules better, what happens? We seem to gain more freedom. As we know the rules, we actually have an opportunity to excel within the rules because we know the rules better and we're able to do them well. I think I gave you the example before of a piano. Somebody playing the piano, there's rules to playing this piano. I mean, I could sit on that piano right now and bang it out. I don't know the rules. And so it's going to sound horrible. But some of you who know how to play the piano, you come up here and you know how to, how to obey the rules of the piano. When you bang it out, it looks like you have such freedom. I'm going to look clunky. My fingers don't work. It's going to look awful and sound awful. But somebody who knows the rules of the piano, it looks beautiful and it sounds beautiful why because they're working within the rules 
of what makes that thing work and go well. As we meet here, we must make sure that we do everything according to the rules that God has set up for us. I know I keep saying this over and over again, but I'm trying to back up my point as much as I can. One way this plays out is our pastors, or myself this morning, when I stand here, and I take this very serious, when I stand here, I must make sure that I never ask of our congregation anything that isn't biblical. And so what I mean is I should never say, hey, watch this real quick. And what I'm telling you to watch isn't biblical. It might be a good thing to watch, but is it really what we're supposed to be doing when we gather here right now? You know, I might be able to say, hey, listen to this. Or hey, you know what I think would be a good idea today? Let's do this. I gotta be careful because when I stand here, the Bible, according to scripture, is I'm standing here with authority over all of you telling you, in order to worship God well this morning, sing this song. In order to worship God well this morning, listen to this, these verses. In order to obey God this morning, I want you to hear what I have to preach to you according to the word of God. And I have to make sure I never lead us astray in that. And so I want to make sure that we're following the rules. And so a question that I have to ask and the other pastors need to ask is what should our worship service look like today? What must we do when we gather? What do we have the right to do? And what should we definitely not do? Because there's a lot of things we can do. Some of the things you guys want me to do right now, I know election season's coming. There's some of you, you really have a strong desire that I do some stuff up here and say some things. I gotta tell you, there's a reason I don't do that. Because what I'm called to do is much bigger than any election. What I'm called to do this morning is bigger than any proposal that's on the ballot. Oh, if you wanna talk to me in private when Tim's not in the pulpit, when Tim's not sitting as authority as pastor, if you wanna talk to Tim as just Tim, Oh, I got some thoughts for you. But I can't give you those with authority. I can give you those as Tim. And so feel free to ask. I'd love to tell you what to do. I like doing that. But in this pulpit, I don't have the right to do that. Because I have a bigger task at hand. And that's to lead you to the throne of God every Sunday morning. To remind you of the God who saved you the God who's loved you and what great lengths he's went to do that. And to remind you that there's a lost and dying world out there that the answer is not a vote, but the answer is Jesus. And that's the story that we have as a church family, is Jesus. And thinking about an order of service, I found something a long time ago that I think is very helpful and I want to share it with you. This isn't a new thing, it's something that churches have been doing for a very long time but when we look at our worship service, we can see our worship service as a dialogue. A dialogue between God and this church family. And so in thinking about how do we plan this service, how do we organize this service, and what should be a part of this service, it's not just us sitting and receiving, but it's also God not just sitting back and receiving from us. It's a both. God speaking and us responding. 
God speaking and us responding, and it happens over and over and over again. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at each of these things probably individually. We'll group some of them together, I'm sure, to show you where in Scripture it's coming from that we should be doing these things in our worship service. But I want to I call our attention to something so I show you. I'm not just pulling this out of anywhere. Because I talked about it with the pastors this week, and I'm like, guys, there's really not a, a passage of Scripture I can go to to show an order of service. I, I can't find it. Do you guys know of one? And they're like, no, it's your job. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. I don't have that. But of these things that I want to show you, I want to show you that they are rooted in history uh, from the church. There's a, there's a book, A Baptist Confession of Faith, that was written a long time ago, 330-some years ago. And this is what it says. It's in chapter 22 of this book, and this is paragraph 1 through 5. This is, this is written by Baptists. Okay, I don't know if you know Baptists were this old. We're old. Baptists are an old group, an old people, okay? And in speaking about our worship service, this is what they had to say. It says, the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is just, good, and does good to all and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Paragraph two, religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to him alone, not to angels, not to saints, or any other creatures. And since the fall, not without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other but Christ alone. That's what we've been talking about. So the first act that happens in worship, they get to here in paragraph three. Prayer, with thanksgiving, being one part of natural worship, is by God required of all men. But that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and when with others, notice this, in a known tongue. It's very Baptist of them, isn't it? Paragraph four. Prayer is to be made for things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned and sin unto death. Again, we know what that's addressing, I think. Paragraph five, last one. The reading of the scriptures, preaching and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to him with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, Solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner. Now it stops there. You say, why would you read this to us? It's 330 some years old. I just want to show you. Worship service have been thought about for a very long time. And I think sometimes we have this view of history that we look back and we say, those people were so dumb. What we do today is worship. And I want to warn us of that. 
Because a lot of what churches do today, as I've already said, is very unacceptable worship. And I think it's good sometimes to go back and to see what did they do before us? It says prayer, reading of the Bible, preaching, hearing the word of God, singing, Lord's Supper, baptism. On special occasions, it says fasting. These are the things that we are called to in worship. And so when we look at these things, well, how does God speak to us? Because I said it's a dialogue. Well, God speaks to us as he calls us to worship, number one. And so every service we do has a call to worship. But I'm gonna get to our service in a moment, so just hold on. But the call to worship is God speaking to us, gathering us together. Kind of like in a business meeting, because I have to follow Robert's rules and orders, I have to say, our meeting is in session. And then it's in session, because I said that at that moment. Well, when we gather together, the call of worship is now God has called the church together. We're in worship session now. That's God speaking to us. God also speaks to us as the word is read. And so when Scott and Spencer or Dave stand here and they read the word of God to you, that's not for their time to be able to speak to you. It's for our time to hear from God this morning. It's not them making up words. It's them reading passages and us just letting it soak in. This is God's word. Let it speak to me. And that is God speaking to us clearly. The preaching of the word of God. That is God again speaking to us. The Bible says that he will call men into ministry who will then preach the word of God to local church families. And as they do that, they are led by Jesus Christ, who that's who we're listening to this morning. Not Tim, but if it's being done faithfully, we are hearing from Jesus Christ this morning and his word. We also hear from God through the ordinances. So Lord's Supper, through baptism. Those are even visual ways that God teaches us. I remember in, in preaching class, they would say, listen, you got some people who love lectures and they can learn from lectures, but you got other people who they are very visual learners. And I didn't like this class and you'll see why. And they said, you need to cater to them. Use props, use videos, do these things. They need it for visualization. Well, listen, God hasn't missed you if you're a visual learner. It's called the Lord's Supper and it's called baptism. It's as visual as it gets. This was once a dead person. They go under into the grave. The water has washed them clean. The, the spirit of God has washed them clean by the blood of Christ. They raise to a new life. Amen to what God has done. Visual. This cracker, his body that was broken for you. Take and eat it. This blood that was shed for your sins and the remission of your sin. Take, taste, drink of it. This is what Christ has done for you. The visual nature of God speaking to us in our worship service. And then at the end of service, what people would call a benediction or blessing. When we close service out, the prayer. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you talked about all the ways that God speaks. Well, how do we respond? Well, we respond through public prayer. Read scripture, we respond by prayer. Thank you, God, for what your word has told us. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. We respond through singing. This is what your word says. 
We want to sing praise to you, or we want to sing back truths about who you are and what you have done. And so we gather together with one voice to sing to you and praise you. We do this through public confession as we gather as a church family and we take time to recognize our sin. But we have the privilege too to recognize not just our sin, but our great savior who saved us and forgiven us of our sin. And then who his covenant loyalty and love to us continues to forgive us of our sin. Each week when we come in here with our heads down, failed again, I love you again, he says. We also get to respond to him in public worship through giving of tithes and offerings. We know that God has, is the one who's blessed us with everything we have. And we have the privilege to be able to lay some of that back down at his feet together as a church family. This is how we then respond. So how do we do that here at this church? Well, I'll go through our service really quick. I see what time it is. But you might wonder, and you know, and I know that many of you have noticed, our service is different than it has been traditionally and in the past. But there is a reason for that. There's a purpose behind that. As we normally do our order of worship, I have it written down here. The first thing that we do, and we hate it, is announcements. Scott does not like that. Scott falls on the sword every week almost. Pastor Dave did last week. Because every week, when we gather together on Monday and we say, what was not good about service this week? We always say, announcements. And that's not Scott's fault. That's just because we don't have a better way to get information out to you because, frankly, most of you don't read the bulletin. And we want to get it out to you somehow. That's the best way we can think of. And so you will notice most of the time what Scott does is he says the announcements and then he says something like this. Now I want to start our worship by reading a portion of scripture. Now he does that purposefully because the announcements were not worship. They were drudgery and we made our way through it. But it's like now we're going to start worship and how are we going to do it? We're gonna do it with a call to worship by reading God's word so he can gather us together this morning. And so after that is read, which is normally the first, the first uh, passage of scripture uh, that we choose normally is a passage of praise or it's a passage of reminding us who God is. That's the focus of that first reading all the time. We then respond to God by prayer. Scott prays. We then as a congregation get to respond to God by having everybody stand up and Pastor Dave leads us in a song where we get to sing together responding to God who has gathered us to worship this morning. And so we are responding back to him through the song that Pastor Dave has chosen for us to sing. We then sit back down because we want to hear from God again. Our part is over for a little bit. And so we get to hear the public reading of God's word again. And normally in this passage, we purposefully try to find a passage that is a reminder of our sin, but also that is a reminder of God's grace in our life, that he has forgiven us of our sin. And we try to be very purposeful in that, and our second reading almost always is one of the out of one of the chapters you were supposed to read this week as a church. And so we hear from God again in this way. We then respond again to the reading of God's word, of hearing from God. We respond by Pastor Spencer prays. We have a public prayer of confession, of thanksgiving, sometimes it'll be praying and interceding for others as well in our church body. 
And then after he says amen, we all get to stand up together and respond again to the word of God by singing another song. You guys then sit down, I get up on stage, I do my best to preach, the God, preach God's word as faithfully as I possibly can from the text of scripture. And trust that what you're doing is you are hearing from God as I do that. We then have the opportunity to respond to God's word. I pray a public prayer usually after I'm done preaching. We then stand again and respond to what we just heard by singing praise to him. But also, and I don't know if you catch this, but every week I say, it is now your job to respond to God's word however you need to respond to God's word. You just heard it preached. So if you need to pray, you need to pray. If you need to go somebody and seek forgiveness, you need to go do that. Now is the time to respond. We will sing praise because we need to do that. But respond how you should. And so we then do that. Then I usually come up and close and end service with maybe a quick word to you, but then a prayer. And that prayer is almost always focused on God as we leave this place now. Keep us bold. Keep us faithful. Keep us true. It's always something along those lines to close out the service. And then we say, you are dismissed. Our congregational worship is over. It is now your job to go and live a life of an individual Christian faithfully to the Lord this week. Do it. Do it well. Go strong. You might say, Pastor Tim, why did you walk us through that? I want you to see there's a purpose behind the worship that we do. It's thought through. I'll be honest with you. I do not remember growing up, and most of you know where I grew up. I do not remember reading a lot of scripture in service. I remember the sermon had scripture in it. I don't remember any before that. I don't remember that. And so that was one of the things right away, I was like, this has to change. We have to be directed by the word of God. And I've said this to you before, it was very awkward at first. I don't think it's as awkward now, but at first it was very awkward. It felt so cold in here when God's word was being read because it seemed like people were saying, what in the world is happening right now we should be singing? It's like, well, why would we be singing? What are we responding to? How awesome my week was? It was horrible. <laughs> this isn't the song I would choose for my week. I would choose something different. But when you start the service by reading about who God is, it says, oh, Tim, this is why you're here. Yeah, this is who you're singing to. This is what you're supposed to do. As one of the pastors leads us in a prayer, and it's a prayer that they've thought about. It's a prayer that they've maybe even prepared beforehand to get us to focus. As they help us to go before the throne of God and to seek his face. It starts to reorient our minds and our thinking so that we then can actually worship God how we are supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth with reverence in awe, with joy, with confidence, with thanksgiving. And so as I said, over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of these things. We're gonna look at preaching. Where does, what does scripture say about it? We're gonna look at singing. What does scripture say about this? We're gonna look at giving. We're gonna look at Lord's Supper. We're gonna look at baptism. We're gonna look at the, uh, the public reading of God's word. Where does the Bible tell us to do these things? Because Pastor Tim, right now, I just think maybe you're making it up. Come the next few weeks, you'll see I'm not. It's in the word of God. 
He's laid out for us how we are called to worship him. And as I've been saying, let us at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church never fall into the trap of offering strange fire to the Lord. Let us make sure that we're very pointed and specific on how we worship God when we come in this place because we know we worship a holy God who's done great things in order for us to be a part of his family. And he deserves acceptable worship and praise and nothing short of that. So let us be faithful in that. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. God, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, help us this morning to meditate on your word, to meditate on who Christ is and what he's done. Meditate on what it means that he be the center of our worship. And God, while I'm talking specifically about our corporate worship together, the same goes for our private worship when we read your word throughout the week, when we're worshiping you through singing by ourselves in our car, when we're with our families, maybe sitting in the living room, opening up your word, reading prayers and praying together, whatever it might be. God, help us make sure that it's all centered around Christ and who he is and what he's done. The word of God made flesh. God, we thank you that you've given us the Bible that we have, that we can read so that we can know. You haven't left us blind. You haven't left us wondering. We're not like the pagans who just hope that we are pleasing our God. No, you have told us what pleases you. You have told us what it takes to even reach the lost so that they would know the truths of your word. You've told us how to do these things. God, we must apologize and seek forgiveness for the times when we've tried to come up with our own ways, our own strategies, our, our own plans. And at times, we've devoided your word from them. God, forgive us of that when that happens. God, help us to be wise and to have a discerning ear when we hear pastors or preachers or teachers or other Christians when they're saying things that just are contrary not aligned with your word. There's so many voices out there today. I pray that you would protect us from that. God, we want to worship you well. God, soften our hearts to that so that we will do the things that you have called us to do. God, as we come now at this time of our service to respond to your word, help us to do that faithfully, honestly. And God, I pray that we'd be able to sing this last song together again in one voice and praise to our God who's called us here to worship as a family. God, we serve you this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.